Well, as Marty said, we're in a series called When Life Surprises You. And we've taken a look at vocational surprises with Peter. And then we took a look at physical surprises with Job. And then we took a look at relational surprises with Paul. And then we took a look at emotional surprises with Elijah. Last week, we took a look at the surprise when God reenlists you with Moses. Today, we're going to take a look at a cultural surprise. And the character is Noah. When culture does not understand your goals, your dream, your vision. Now, when most people think about Noah and the ark, they want to know about the details of the flood. They want to know the details about the ark and the animals. And honestly, all of those things are fascinating. I have books on them if you want to read them, okay? But today, I want to set those details aside, and I want to focus in on the man himself and how he was able to fulfill the dream, the vision, uh, the, the goals that God had for him in a culture that was resistant. And if you look at the goal that he had, I mean, one of the goals was he had to build this big boat that had never been built before. And he had to communicate to a culture about a flood, rain, where it never rained before. How in the world did he do that? How did he fulfill his mission when in a culture that was resistant to him? Now, in case you don't know the story of Noah, the Bible tells us that there was a time in, in, in human history that mankind was deprived They were so deprived, so wicked, so evil, so perverted that God regretted making them, that he wanted to destroy all of mankind. But God looked down and he found one guy with a pure heart, a man of integrity, a man who genuinely loved God and wanted to do what God wanted done. His name was Noah. God looked down at Noah and said to him, I'm going to make it rain. Before this time, there'd never been any rain. The water was kind of in this greenhouse effect and the moisture came from the ground and it watered everything. People didn't know what rain was. They didn't know what a rainbow was. They didn't know what a flood was. But God comes to Noah and he says to him, I'm gonna make it rain so much that it's going to create a worldwide flood that's going to cover the whole world and nothing is going to be able to survive it. But I am going to save you and your family to repopulate the earth. Now, if you think about that, what that means for you and I is that we are ancestors of Noah. We're all family. Hi there, fam. You can turn to your neighbor. Hi, fam. I got a bill. Will you pay it? We're family. (laughs) God says to Noah, I want you to build an ark, and I'm going to give you the plans for it. Now, it doesn't say how long it took Noah to build that ark, but if you read other outside sources, it was about 100 years to build that ark. It was a long time. And think about that. During that time, 
His culture didn't understand what he was doing. His neighbors didn't understand it. His employers didn't understand it. His friends didn't understand it. No one understood what he was doing. What is Noah doing over there? Folks, in the very same way, when God gives you a dream, a goal, a mission in life, people of this culture will not understand what's going on. They're going to look at you and they're going to think, you know what? You are crazy. This sets up chapters, Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And what we learn in those chapters is that Noah was able to reach his goals, uh, fulfill his mission, uh, complete his dream in spite of four common pitfalls. These pitfalls that we're going to look at are the same pitfalls that you and I experience in our culture as we seek to fulfill the vision, the dream that God has for us. Now, in these chapters are not only the four pitfalls, but the four antidotes to them. But let me give you the pitfalls first. Distraction, doubts, detours, and delays. First, there are distractions. Those are the things that are around us that waste our time, our money, and our energy. Then the next is doubts. There are voices of doubts all around us that we hear speaking into our life that, that, that cause us to second guess what God has for us. The third one, pitfall, is tempting detours, like taking shortcuts. But, that, but, but oftentimes take you in the wrong direction. And then the last pitfall is discouraging delays because, folks, it took Noah about 100 years to build that thing. Now, Noah made four choices. They are the same choices that you and I need to make in order to counteract the pitfalls of culture. And the first one is this. Will you write this down? I must dare to be different from my culture. Until you settle that issue, you're never going to fulfill your dreams. You can't fit in with culture and fit into God's plans, God's dreams, God's mission for your life at the same time. Folks, it just doesn't work that way. Take a look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. This is the the account of Noah and his descendants. Noah had God's approval and was a man of integrity among the people of his time. If you're going to do anything significant with your life, you're going to do it in spite of culture, not because of it. Culture is a distraction. Would you agree that there are a lot of things in our culture that can distract us from fulfilling the mission, the the, the dream, the goals that God has put on our hearts for our lives, for our families, for our workplaces? Sure, there's all kinds. Let me give you four of them very, very quickly. One is just pleasure. A lot of people live just to have fun. That's their whole goal and mission in life. And there's a lot of fun things out there. Another one is possessions. Some people have as their number one goal to accumulate as many toys as they possibly can, okay? He who dies with the most toys wins, okay? Another one is popularity. 
More people are concerned about what other people think than the dreams and visions that God has for their life. And the last one is profit. When you make, when you make money your number one goal, you've made it your God. And in Noah's day and age, his culture was morally bankrupt. And it was a distraction. Take a look at Genesis 6, 11 through 12. Now the earth had become corrupt in God's sight. And it was filled with violence. And God, and God observed all the evil done in the world. And he noticed cruelty and depravity everywhere. Will you circle some key words? Corrupt, violence, evil, cruelty, and depravity. Does that sound familiar? Look at Genesis 6, 5 and 6. When God saw the extent of human wickedness and that the trend and direction of men's lives were only towards evil, he was sorry he made them. It broke his heart. Will you circle the phrase trend and direction? When God looked down on mankind and he saw that the trajectory was towards evil, folks, it broke God's heart. In the beginning, when God looked on mankind, he said, it was good. And now he looks down and he says, it's not good. By the way, what do you think the trajectory is of our culture that we live in? Are, 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 is it towards good or is it towards evil? Is it towards civility or is it towards incivility? Is it towards love or is it towards rudeness? It's interesting, when Jesus was doing ministry on earth, and he still is through the body of Christ, but when he walked this earth, he said in Luke 17, when the Son of Man comes again, it will be just like it was when Noah lived. He says, when I come back, guess what the trajectory will be for mankind. It will be towards violence and corruption and evil and cruelty and depravity. Folks, these are the distractions, or these were the distractions of Noah's day. But here is the good news. God found one bright spot in the darkness. Take a look at Genesis 6, 8. But Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. While the world was heading towards hell in a handbasket, he found one man. The world was saved. In fact, will you circle the phrase, but Noah. The world was heading towards hell in a handbasket. But salvation came because of Noah. Folks, I want that to be for you. I want you to be that kind of a person. I want you to be a Noah in our culture. I want God to look down and say, but for K, the world would have been destroyed. But for Sue, the world would have been destroyed. But for, I don't know, George, the world would have been destroyed. 
because the world was going in a different direction, but I found one person who was a bright light. Folks, Noah was counterculture. Noah didn't worry about fitting in. He didn't worry about keeping up with the latest trends. Why? Because he knew that those cultural trends were going in the wrong direction. Folks, it's not important that you and I be on the right side of history. Because a lot of times, human history is just outright wrong. It is not important that we be on the right side side of cultural trends. Why? Because a lot of times, cultural trends are going the opposite direction that God wants them to go. If God is going to use you, you must be willing to be different. In fact, will you write this down? I can only make a difference by being different. I can only make a difference by being different. I think of that in my upbringing a lot because in the 60s and 70s, I mean, we were the hippies, right? And we started wearing jeans. And that wasn't something that was culturally accepted back then. But it, now people wear jeans all the time. We were different. And culture went that way. It's only as you and I are different from culture that we're able to sway them in a different direction. Do you want to make a difference in your marriage? Then be different in your marriage. Do you want to, you want to have, a, have a different family? And raise your kids in a different way. You want our community to be different? Then you and I must be a light in the darkness. You're never going to make a difference unless you're willing to be like Noah. Where we ignore the cultural distractions that are out there. We've got to be a people who follow the road less traveled. I like that phrase. I like Genesis 6, 8, Living Bible. It says this, Noah was a pleasure to the Lord. Folks, I want that for you. I want that for you because I want you to be trending in God's direction. I want you to be walking the road less traveled. Look at Genesis 7, 1. God told Noah, out of everyone living in this generation, you are the only righteous person on earth. Think about that. Folks, that's why, that's why we talk about Noah thousands of years later. How does something like that happen? It happens by living a life of integrity. By having the courage to be different. By walking on the road that is less traveled. The second choice that, that Noah made... In order to fill, fulfill the mission, the dream, the vision that God had for him was this. It's something that you and I must do. I must listen to God, not the voices of doubt. Can you imagine, can you imagine the doubts that Noah must have had when God came to him and said, Noah, I'm going to make it rain, I'm going to flood the earth, but I'm going to use you to build an ark, and I'm going to save you and repopulate the earth. And I am sure when Noah heard that, he goes, what? Me? you got to be kidding. 
Moses or Noah must have had all kinds of doubts because no doubt was their doubt within. But folks, there had to be doubts without. There are many kinds of voices or places that doubts can arise. Some of you are listening to doubts right now. God has given you a vision for your life. God has told you, you know what? I want you to get involved in this Time to Dream campaign. But you have people, possibly, that love you, that don't believe that. Or a partner that doesn't believe that. Or parents that don't believe that. Or extended family that don't believe that. Voices of doubt can come from anywhere. They can come from those that love you. They can come from critics. They can come from competition. Folks, they can come from Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. If you ever hear this tiny voice that says, you're no good, you can never be forgiven, you're worthless, guess what? That doesn't come from God. Because Paul makes it pretty clear in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Voices of doubt can come from anywhere. Imagine all the dream busters that Noah had to face, like his neighbors. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? Well, it's a big boat. Well, why are you building a boat? Because it's supposed to rain. What's rain? Well, it's water from heaven. Well, what's that all about? Well, God's going to flood the earth. God? Who told you about this? Well, God did. Hey, he's crazy, man. He thinks God's talking to him, okay? Where is the HOA right now? He's building that boat out in the front yard, okay? Imagine the teenagers. Dad, did you have to build it in the front yard? We're on National Enquirer now. I, my girlfriends won't even come over and visit anymore. Folks, he had to have had all kinds of voices of doubt speaking into his life. And this didn't go on just for a short period of time. It went on year after year after year after year. Folks, it took a lot of faith for Noah to do this. Now let's apply this to your life. Dream busters are going to speak into your life. There will be critics and cynics that will say to you, who in the world do you think you are trying to be like Jesus? You think you're a goody two-shoe, don't you? You think you're better than everyone else. Who, who in the world do you think you are that you could even do anything significant for God? Folks, those can come from family. Because it came from my dad. Joseph was given a dream by God. And his family, who are you? Jesus' family said, who are you? You can go throughout the Bible and find all kinds of dream busters everywhere. But understand this, that the biggest dream buster out there aren't those that are without. It's those that are within, that come from ourselves. The most important words that you will ever hear in your life will come from God. 
But the second most important words that you will hear come from yourself. And you and I talk to ourselves far more than we talk to God or anyone else. And a lot of times our talk is negative. I'm no good. I'm worthless. This won't work. I mean, who in the world do I think I am? When you talk to yourself, you can either sow seeds of doubt into your life, like I'm no good, I'm worthless, I couldn't do anything significant for God, or you can sow seeds of faith. You know what? I am confident that I am who I am in Christ, that he has shaped me, that he has equipped me. He would never call me to do something that he hasn't given me the energy and the time and the resources to do. And so you either sow seeds of doubt or you sow seeds of faith. Let me ask you this. How do you talk to yourself? If you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself, my guess is you wouldn't have any friends. Let me, and while I'm on this, let me say this. Don't trust what you tell yourself all the time because a lot of times you don't tell yourself the truth. You lie to yourself far more than anyone else lies to you. And so whatever you do, what I'm saying is I'm giving you permission to doubt what you tell yourself because a lot of times you don't tell yourself the truth. Our hearts are deceitful. What you have to do is you gotta listen to God. This was the antidote that Noah applied. Take a look at Genesis or Hebrews 11, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah heard God's warnings about things he could not yet see. Folks, he couldn't see the ark yet. He couldn't see the flood yet. He couldn't see uh, the animals yet. It was just a dream. It was just a vision. It was just a goal. It was just a mission that God was, was giving to him. And all of those things were invisible to him. But he hears God and he trusts God. Now let's apply that to our lives. You can't always see God's destiny for your life, can you? You can't necessarily see the dream completely, the goal, the, 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 the vision that he, he has for your life, can you? Folks, you and I don't know what, what it'll be like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now when God gives that dream. So what do you do? You have to trust. You have to trust God for the future about what you don't see. And that is called faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith was Noah's antidote to the voices of doubt that was in his culture. Paul had to deal with the, these doubts, but they were circumstantial. Take a look at this in 2 Corinthians 
We don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Those troubles that create doubt and fear that the dream is going to be fulfilled. Instead, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the unseen joys to come will last forever. Folks, that is perspective. That is faith. Yeah, I see the troubles now because they're here, but guess what? They are here today and they are gone tomorrow. But that joy that I cannot see, one day it it will be here and it will be eternal, everlasting. You see, my guess is in a crowd this size that some of us are depressed because of some of the circumstances that we're going through right now. And those circumstances have created doubt and fear within you. May I just say this, never let or never make a permanent decision when you have a temporary mood. Feelings are here today and they are gone tomorrow. Now, whether you are stressed by your circumstances or whether you are blessed by your circumstances, your future is determined by one thing. And that is what you choose to focus on. Will you choose to focus on the voices of doubt in culture or will you choose to focus on the voice of God? Will you choose to listen to, the, to, to culture or will you choose to listen to Christ? Hebrews eleven seven says this, Noah's belief in God was in direct contrast to the disbelief of the rest of the world. Will you circle that phrase, was in direct contrast? contrast. Nobody else believed. They were all scoffers. Who in the world do you think you are? God spoke to you. You're crazy. You are nuts. Folks, I want to challenge you to be counterculture. I want to challenge you as we prep for the time to dream to be counterculture, to focus on the dream that Christ has for your life. Focusing on listening to him and not listening to culture that is out there. But PG, it's hard to swim upstream in culture. It takes courage. You're absolutely right, it does. It takes courage. How do you get the courage? Like Noah, how do you get the courage to fulfill the dream, the vision, the mission, the goal that God has for you as a person, for your family, for this church? How does that happen? Folks, there's only one way. It's as you and I stay close to God. The Bible says that Noah heard God speak. Why? Because he was close enough to God To hear him speak. Pastor George heard God speak to me. Well, maybe it's because you're not close enough to him. I will never forget sitting on the cliff of the Missouri River prior coming to Dallas to start this church. I was feeling restless and I yelled out, God, I just don't know what you want to do. I'm hard-headed. I'm a Pfizer. You've got to speak loudly to get my attention. And 
Nothing was said. And then the story came back of Elijah, how God whispered to him. George, if you stay close enough to me, you'll hear my voice and my dream for your life. And it was shortly after that that I got invited to come to Dallas. God, Pastor George, I never hear God speak to me. You gotta get close to him. Will you write this down? You gotta be near to hear. You gotta be near to God to hear God. How can you be near to God? By walking with God. Notice in Genesis 6, 9, Noah walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? Notice the other translations of the same verse. It means to, that he enjoyed a close relationship with God. What does it mean to have a close relationship with God? Noah lived in fellowship with God. Noah and God were close. Let me put it this way. Are you unashamed of Christ? If you and Christ were walking at the mall, which I do a lot of, would you be walking ahead of him? Would you be walking behind him? Or would you be walking with him? To be walking with God means that you are in fellowship with God. It means that you are equally yoked with him, that you are not ahead of him, that you are not behind him, that you are with him, that you are walking at the same pace that he is walking and that you are going in the same direction that he is going. Let me summarize what I'm saying here. When you are walking with God, you will be out of step with culture. No ifs, ands, buts about it. That's just the way it works. You can't walk in step with God and walk in step with culture at the same time and fulfill the dream, the vision, the mission, the goals that God has for, that God has put on your heart for your life, for your marriage, for your families. It doesn't work that way. And so you've got to walk closely because when you walk closely with God, then you are near God. And when you know that God is near, you have no fear. You're able to hear the promises of God. I am going to get you through this. And that is what God spoke to Moses. Take a look at Genesis 6, 17 and 18. God told Noah, I'm going to send a flood that will destroy everything that breathes. Nothing will be left alive. But I solemnly promise that you, your wife, your sons, and your daughters-in-law will be kept safe in the boat. Because Noah walked with God. He was close to God. He was near to God. He heard God speak the promise that I'm going to get you through this. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of right now? What has got you tied up in knots? The succession? 
I'm not sweating it at all. I'm looking forward to the future. You wait till we get to the time of dream. I'm going to cast a vision for us, for your life, for our church, because God's not done. What's waking you up at night that's, cause, that you, that's causing you to lose sleep? Don't listen to the voices of doubt, to the voices of culture. Rather, listen to the voice of God by walking with God. There's a third choice that Noah made that you and I must make if we're going to be victorious with the mission, the goal, the dream that he has for us. And and it's this, I must do exactly what God tells me to do. Noah did exactly what God told him to do. Take a look at Hebrews eleven seven. Noah obeyed God and built a large boat to save his family. You see, Noah just didn't hear it, folks. You know what he did? He acted upon it. He did exactly what God told him to do at the exact time and in the exact way. Why? Because Noah understood that partial obedience is disobedience. In Genesis 6, 14 through 22, God tells Noah exactly how to build the boat. And at the end of it, in verse 22, he said this, then Noah did exactly did everything exactly as God had commanded him. And guess what? That's why Noah survived. And that's why you and I are here. <laughs> If he, if he hadn't done it exactly the way God wanted him to do it in, in the exact way that God wanted it done, he wouldn't be here, and neither would we. I can imagine. I can imagine him second-guessing God on some of these things. In your own life, I don't care whether you're beginning the Christian life or in the middle or at the end of it, you're going to be tempted to cut corners. You're going to be tempted to take shortcuts. You're going to be tempted to skip steps. You're going to be tempted to fudge just a little bit. God's going to say, I want you to do it this way. And you're going to think, no, no, I, I, I think this way is better. I'm going to do it. I want to do it my way. Don't do that. It'll be fatal. I'm sure when God told Noah, I want you to put tar pitch on the inside of the boat. God, do I really have to do that? It's just gunking up everything else. It's all my hands and I touch other pieces of furniture. Yes, Noah, you've got to do it that way. Oh, but God, do, do I, does, can't it be just one of a kind? Why, why does it have to be two, okay? It's just double the work. But notice, God tells Noah the second time. He says this to him twice. This is important. In Genesis 7, 1 through 5, after he talks to him about the animals, again, Noah did exactly as the Lord had commanded him. He didn't take any shortcuts. And you and I will be tempted to take tempting shortcuts, like moral shortcuts, or ethical shortcuts, or financial shortcuts. Don't do it. In fact, will you write this down? Shortcuts are short-sighted. They often lead you in the exact opposite direction that you really need to go. Moa, Moa, 
That's the, the, the plural of Moses and Noah. Noah was different. Genesis 6, 9, Noah consistently followed God's will. And that is why God blessed him. A lot of people read this story and they think it's unbelievable. When I read this story, I think, you know what? If God can make the universe, and as I look at the universe and the complexity that's in it, if God can make the universe the way he's made it and the way he's designed my body and your body, God can do this hands down. And when God laid that out to Noah, he didn't complain about it. He didn't gripe about it. He did it. His faith was incredible because the requests that God was making of him were incredible. And if you will do exactly what God tells you to do with the dream that he's going to put on your heart in this campaign, I guarantee you this, you will be blessed. Faith is obeying when I don't understand why. The fourth one, the fourth choice that Noah made that you and I must make if we're going to fulfill the mission is I must never give up on the dream that God gives me. If anyone had the right to give up on the dream, folks, it had to be Noah. I mean, we're talking a hundred years. We're talking cynics and critics around him constantly. But folks, he didn't give up. Would you be able to maintain enthusiasm for a hundred years when culture is nipping at your heels, when it's barking at you constantly, looking at you with looks that, hey, you are really weird? Truly, most people give up way too soon. And that's the reason they don't succeed. They sell out for the immediate to give up the long term. But the Bible says you and I are to live for the unseen things. We are to live for the dreams that God places on our hearts. And I am sure that Noah on that journey felt lonely. I am sure that he felt fatigued. But folks, he modeled perseverance. He modeled patience and determination. In fact, he did this because of his faith. Look at Hebrews eleven seven. Noah trusted God when he heard God's warning about the future. Noah believed him even though there was no sign of a flood. Noah trusted God. And I'm sure when Noah was in the middle of the project where he couldn't see light at one end of the tunnel and he couldn't see light at the other end of the tunnel. Noah continued to believe. He held on to the promises of God and what God had spoken to him. What about you? What is in your life that you can't see right now that you want to give up on? Will you keep trusting God, will you keep believing God for it? Because Noah did. In Hebrews eleven seven, 7, 
the last part. It says, Noah showed the world, Noah showed that the world was wrong and that he was made right because of his faith in God and that God saved him. And in the very same way, as you believe, as you hold on, as you persevere, as you model faith, God will save you. He will set you free. And you will realize the dream that God has placed in your heart. He did that for Noah. And he took Noah and he placed him in the ark. And he shut the door that didn't have any handles. And he literally, physically saved him. And God will do the same thing for you. Even though you and I can't see Christ right now, he's made a promise. If you put your faith in me, I will put you in Christ. And I will save you by my grace. And I will deliver you to heaven. To eternity future and it will be a joy to you that will be inexpressible but will be eternal God has promised and God delivers let's pray Lord I just thank you I thank you that you are a dream giver that you have dreams and aspirations and goals and missions and, and missions for our lives. And may we be those, God, who walk closely with you. May we be those who don't run ahead and don't lag behind, but walk with you at the pace that you're walking in the direction that you're going. Realizing that as we are close to you, that we will hear you and that we will realize that you are near and our fear will be dissipated, God. That we will be able to be a force against culture. That we will be able to be a beacon of light to make our lives different, to make our world different, to make our culture different. God, we look to you to do these things. The dreams that we have can only be fulfilled by your grace. You're the one that has to give us the desire and power, but we thank you for examples like Noah that can stimulate our hearts and our minds to follow you fully, God, when we are surprised by things in our culture that are working against us. God, I thank you for that. I don't know where you're at right now in your relationship with Christ, but if you haven't dropped him from your head to your heart, by admitting your need for him 
Can I encourage you to do that today? You can never be a difference maker until you have the difference maker in your heart. Will you just admit, will you come to God and humbly say, God, I want to be different. I believe you're the difference maker. And so right now, God, I'm committing myself to walking with you. And if you prayed that prayer in your way, God heard you. Would you just let me know? On your communication card, just write, write your name, your email address, so I can email you some literature that'll help you understand what you've just done. So that you can realize the dream that God has for you. Lord, we give you this. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for our worship. We thank you for the time that we could come together and remember you through the elements, God. May you be honored. May you be blessed. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.